Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you for being here today. Hey, if you're watching online and at the Rossville campus, thank you so much for joining us there as well. Hey, would you take your Bibles, wherever you are, turn to the book of Colossians in the New Testament. Now, that'll be a little hard to find. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, they're all kind of small books. Just look in the front of your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen today. I'm actually going to, over the next little bit, preach through the verse of Colossians. Now, it, I mean, the book of Colossians. It'll be three different sermon series as I go through it. And the first one I'm going to do is this, first things first, start here. Paul ta- starts off in the book of Colossians, giving us the things we need to know first. And so I want to deal with those because this is where you start in the Christian life. These are the things you have to know in the Christian life in order to get a good start in the Christian life. The Colossians is a great book written by Paul, the first half It's kind of a theological treatise, and the second half is an ethics course on how we are to act. And and really, in this first part, the whole book really affirms the deity and lordship of Christ and urges us to put Christ at the center of everything we do. And so I want to go through that whole book. We'll, We'll look at three different sermon series. This first one has about four sermons in it called First Things First. And today I want to preach on this, becoming a colossal Christian. Becoming a colossal Christian. Let me ask you this question this morning. Simple question with profound impact in your life. Here's the question. How good of a Christian do you want to be? Really, that's the question of the hour, right? That's the question of our lives. How good of a Christian do you really want to be? I mean, you say, preacher, I'm sitting in church here this morning. I'm, I'm watching online. I'm, I'm at the Rossville campus. Obviously, I'm, I mean, I'm engaging. I want to be a, a good Christian. But do we, do we really? I mean, ask yourself, how much are you willing to invest of your life to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, let, let, me, let, me, let me put that in terms maybe we can understand because when I ask you how good of a Christian do you want to be, I don't know that we really understand what I'm asking. I'm asking how much of your life, the bandwidth of your life, are you willing to invest in becoming a good Christian? See, if I'd ask, for example, Michael Phelps, how good of a swimmer do you want to be? I mean, Michael Phelps, the most decorated Olympian in history with 28 medals and 23 of them gold medals. His career spanned five Olympic Games, two total decades of dominance. He made the U.S. National B team when he was 14 years old. And at 15, he became the, greatest, the youngest swimmer ever to turn pro. If you'd ask Michael Phelps, 
for example, how good of a swimmer do you want to be? Here's how he would have answered. During the peak of his training, he swam about 80,000 meters a week. That is 50 miles, miles a week. Michael, how good of a swimmer do you want to be? I don't know. I'm going to be, I'm going to be good enough that I'm going, to, I'm going to swim 50 miles a week. I'll let that answer the question. Or, or we know this, that he went to the gym to lift weights at least three times a week. We know this, that overall he trained five to six hours a day, six days a week, and training was a full-time job. Hey, training just wasn't a full-time job for Michael Phelps. Eating was a full-time job for Michael Phelps. There was a rumor at one time that he ate 12,000 calories a day, but actually, here's what he said. He squashed the myth. He actually ate eight to 10,000 calories each day. Or roughly the equivalent of what I do. <laughs> like I looked up, what does he eat? And breakfast was fruit, coffee, large bowl of oatmeal, big ham and cheese omelet. Lunch was a meatball sub. Dinner, whole grains, lean meats, veggies. And he ate all kinds of snacks during, during the day. Here's what he did. He had to eat so much food because he was swimming 50 miles a week and working out all week long. I mean, if I asked Michael Phelps, Michael Phelps, what, what kind of swimmer do you want to be? Michael would have answered with, he said, I want to be such a good swimmer. I'm willing to commit 50 miles a week. He won eight gold medals in a single Olympic. Olympics, breaking a record. If you'd ask him, what kind of swimmer do you want to be? That's how he would answer. Well, let me ask you this. What if I said, um, do you want to become an expert guitar player, for example? How much work do you have to put in to become, uh, I'll date myself a little bit here, Eddie Van Halen or Chuck Berry, right? How much work do you have to put in to become that? Well, I found a chart that, that told me that, that basically if you wanted to become basic at a guitar, if you practice for 30 minutes a day, it would take you about two years to become a basic guitar player. If you wanted to be advanced and you practice 30 minutes a day, it would take you 14 years. But if you wanted to become a master guitar player and you were willing to practice 30 minutes a day, it would take you 111 years to get there. If you practice an hour a day, every day of your life, it'd take you 50 five years or two hours a day it would take you 27 years or four hours a day it would take you 14 years to become a world-class guitar player if you practice all day and yet we we watch people who who we would consider world-class guitar players and we think oh what talent they have and I'm, I'm not denying any talent but here's what we know that they have invested hours and hours and hours and hours most of the time every day of their lives become good at what they do and the short answer is this if you want to become an expert at anything it doesn't come naturally it takes enormous amounts of energy, enormous amounts of focus, enormous amounts of resources, enormous amounts of training, enormous amounts of determination. Nobody just wakes up as an expert at something. They invest and they invest and they invest and they invest and they invest. And so now let me ask you again, how good of a Christian do you want to be? Because it's going to take enormous amounts of energy. It's going to take enormous amounts of focus. 
of resources, of training, of determination to become a world-class Christian. You say, oh, preacher, I've been saved 50 years. I've been saved 30 years. I've been saved 20 years. doesn't even mean you're a good Christian. I've owned a guitar for 15 years. You know how good I am at the guitar? I'll, I'll bring it in and I'll show you one day. I'll bring it in and I'll show you one day how good I am. There's been a piano in, a house, in our house since the day I got married. Or soon after. Do you know how good of a piano player I am? None. None. I don't know anything about it. Jax plays the guitar, but piano better than I do. So now how close to God do you want to be? How much do you want to influence others? How much do you want to impact the kingdom for eternity? That is a colossal Christian. And that's what Paul was writing to these Colossian Christians to tell them how you can become a a world-class Christian. How do you become a, a Christian that is sold out to God? It is possible for every single child of God. The only difference between them and us and Paul and us is how much we are willing to invest how good of a christian do you want to be stand with me as we read god's word and if you're watching at rossville or uh, stand please if you're online it'll be right here on the screen i'm just going to read the first two books, books uh, verses in the book of colossians chapter 1 verse 1 and 2 it says this paul an apostle of christ jesus by god's will and timothy our brother To the saints in Christ at Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Thank you. You may be seated. Here's what I'm going to do today. This first sermon is an overview of the entire book. Three things that I want to point out because these three sermon series I do will be based on what I'm going to talk about today and I, I lay down. How do you become a colossal Christian. Well, Paul takes the whole letter that he wrote to Colossae and he lays out for us how we can become a colossal Christian. So number one, here's what I want you to know. A a colossal Christian know, they know what they have to know. Verse number nine. He said, for this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you that we're seeking, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Paul tells the church in chapter 1, dives right in at Colossae that he is praying for them and he's praying for some very specific things. He is praying for the knowledge of his will, he is praying for wisdom, and he is praying for spiritual understanding. Knowledge of his will, wisdom, spiritual understanding. Now let me put that in, in terms that we understand. The knowledge of his will was what knowledge, wisdom was how knowledge, and spiritual understanding was why knowledge. What knowledge How knowledge, why knowledge, what knowledge, how knowledge, why knowledge. He's praying that and goes on to explain in the verses that follow why he's praying that for them. And and we're not going to read it all day. We'll we'll cover it later on. But here's what he said. He said, I'm praying this for you so that he says later on that you'll live lives worthy of the Lord. That you'll live lives that please the Lord. That you'll bear Christ-like fruit. That you'll grow in knowledge of the Lord. He, he says this, I'm praying this so you will build endurance in the Lord. I'm praying this, he says, so that you'll be a person of joy and thanksgiving to the Lord. And Paul goes on to lay out in those opening chapter that that's what a good Christian is, right? That a good Christian is that person that is worthy of the Lord, pleasing the Lord, growing in the Lord, bearing fruit in the Lord, joy in the Lord, thanks to the Lord. That's a good Christian. 
And Paul said, in order to get there, there's some things that you have to know. And he immediately in chapter 1 launches into the lordship of Jesus Christ. Point being this, that Paul wanted all of this knowledge and wisdom in your life embedded with this introductory truth. Here it is. Jesus is Lord. All of chapter 1 is getting us to that truth in our lives, hear me, that Jesus is Lord. Can I say it this way? You don't have to make Jesus Lord, he already is. Sometimes we'll say this, that, and I, I'll say it, I don't mean anything disrespect by it, I don't mean it theologically incorrect, but it, it's a little bit off. We'll say things like this, that you need to make Jesus Lord of your life. No, nope, can I tell you this? Jesus is Lord no matter what you do. He's Lord. He is the King of kings, he is the Lord of lords, and the, the real Christian life starts when we acknowledge that. That's where knowledge starts, that's where wisdom starts, that's where understanding starts. And I'll tell you this, if you get that fundamentally wrong, you'll miss out on the entire point of the Christian life. Can I tell you this? You can be wrong about a lot of stuff in this Bible. You know that? Like I'm reading through Deuteronomy right now. Woo, good, God bless you. All those, everybody that loves Deuteronomy, more power to you. It's a little hard to get through. I'm going to be honest with you, even for a preacher. There's some difficult parts in it. And I find it, man, I'm getting sermons out of Deuteronomy. I'm making notes as I mark through it. I'm, I'm, I'm getting it, man. It's, good. it's Bible. It's all God's word. Just some of it takes a little more. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to miss some things in Deuteronomy. I'm, gonna, I'm not, I'm not going to know when exactly I'm supposed to celebrate the festival of something. I'm going to get wrong on that, right? Like, I'm going to miss it. I don't know the exact date. I can be wrong on the festival of something in the Old Testament, right? I can miss that and still be a good Christian. Let me tell you what I can't miss. That Jesus is Lord. I can't mess that up. I can't miss that. If I get that wrong, listen to me. If I don't have an understanding, if I think Jesus is just my buddy, if I think Jesus is just my friend, if I think Jesus is just a good person, or I think Jesus is a good teacher, or I think Jesus was a good moral guy, or I think Jesus was this or that, and I forget the fact that Jesus is God and he is Lord, all of my Christian life will be wrong. It starts with knowing what you have to know. Jesus is And if you get that wrong, you'll get the entire Christian life wrong. I, I told you this story before. I've never told you this part of the story. I was a, I was, I was a lively kid. That's a good way to say it. I was a lively kid. That, that's not the way my dad would have described it, but that, that's what, looking back on it, I was a lively kid, right? And I remember in first grade that, and I've told you part of the story, my, my, I mean, just early on in first grade, we were six or eight weeks into first grade. You kind of don't really know anybody yet. And Miss Tracy walked out of the room and she told us, don't anybody move. I mean, she really couldn't expect that to be obeyed, I don't think, with a bunch of first grade boys. And I kid you not, the door had just shut and the guys in the room scooted all the desk out of the way. And we set up, a, they set up a wrestling mat, uh, not really a mat, but a wrestling arena in the middle of all those chairs. And, you know, all the girls, first grade girls, were over on the side going, we're taking names. We're taking names. Because that's what the girls did. And, um, uh, and I, I just determined, like, I couldn't afford to get in trouble at school. I don't know if you had this kind of parent or not. My daddy dropped me off with anybody he dropped me off with. And daddy said this, hey, if he gets in trouble, if he, if he does something wrong, just wear him out. And, and if you give him a spanking, I mean, 
Everybody in my community had permission to spank me. I had to walk on edge in our, in our neighborhood. And so dad dropped me off at the school and he'd tell the principal, hey, you let me know if he gets a paddling at school, he's going to get one at home. You, he'd tell my teachers, hey, you had to paddle him at school, he'll get one at home. And look, he held to that and I got a paddling, uh, literally second grade, I got a paddling every day of school. I just walked in, bent over, got it over with and got it when I got home. Like it was every day, every day back in the day. So again, I was a lively kid, and so, but I, I, first grade, I'm like, I'm still scared of authority a little bit, and, and, uh, and I'm like, I'm not getting into that, and there, you know, it, one of us is being Tojo Yamamoto, and one of us is being wrestler number one, and, and I'm just sitting there watching, and finally, they're like, you know, they're, they call me chicken. Now, if you're a new parent, you don't know if a little boy, you, you, have, you have to participate when they call you chicken, you're not allowed not to. Because you'll carry that with you the rest of your life, right? So you just got to jump in. And I know more than got out of my seat, took two steps toward the wrestling ring, Miss Tracy walked in the door. And some girl said, I got all their names written down right here. So she, our, our punishment was, she got all the names. My name made the list because I stood up and, and uh, she had butcher paper on her wall like a big roll of butcher paper. It was this, it was this wide, if I remember it correctly. And, and she'd use it for crafts, but she walked over the butcher paper and had a cutter on it. And she walked over and she'd roll it out and she'd cut a sheet and she'd say, here, you have to write to 100. That's your punishment. And they had about seven or eight of us boys, we had to write to 100. Now, now, doesn't seem like a big deal, right? Six weeks into first grade, it's still a little mysterious what comes after 10. Like, we're not really sure. Uh, what's going on. I think y'all teach them more than they taught us back then. My whole kindergarten experience was trying to learn how to tie my shoe. I don't remember anything else in kindergarten other than that. So first grade, we're off to a little bit of a slow start. And she said, you got to count to a hundred and you got that big fat pencil still. And writing to a hundred seemed like writing to a million because we just had to do it. And so we went, and by the way, she gave us two days to do it because we weren't very good at it. And so, so I remember like one day I got to like 40 and then the next day I'm struggling trying to get through. And I'd be in the sixties and have to look back at the third to figure out what came next, you know, 61, 62, 63, you know, and had to do all that. And so I remember, I never forget, I got to 100 and it was hard, hard work to write to 100. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to get extra credit and I'm going to write to 1,000. And so I did, I wrote to 1,000. Here's what I did. I did 98, 99, 100. Now, common sense says what number comes next? 101? Right, no. 200. Common sense says 200 comes next. Right? Because if I look back, listen, if I look back at 1 to 10, tell me how it is. 1, what comes next? What comes next? What comes next? Okay, you tell me why this is not right. Come on, tell me why that's not right. You can't. It's a mathematical impossibility to prove this is not right. Because if this is not right, it would be 1, 1.02, 1.03. But no, we just go 1, 2. And so I thought, I'm going to write to 1,000. I, I am a blooming genius. So I did. I wrote to 1,000. 300, 400, 500. You get it. 600, 700, 800, 900, 1,000. I think, I can't believe she didn't make right to 1,000. That's so easy. I almost kept going. I remember as a first grader debating, should I just write to a million this way? Should I write to a million? Because this is no problem whatsoever. 
I can count to 10,000 easily. Matter of fact, I counted our attendance this morning, and we have somewhere close to 10,000 people here this morning. <laughs> like, I, I got it down. I remember I handed in my paper, and I couldn't have been more proud of my paper, the butcher paper. And by the way, the numbers had not only gotten larger, they had gotten bigger in size. I'd wrote them larger as they went down the page, and 1,000 was about that big down at the bottom of it, and and I turned it in, and, and next day, she, she called me at her desk, and she's like, hey, Joel, we're going to go over numbers bigger than 100 later on in the school year. And I was like, oh, I got it, Miss Trace. I don't even need to go over it. I already got it. She said, well, some of it may be a little bit wrong, but we'll, we'll, she was so sweet to me. We'll, we'll talk about it later. I was like, what are you talking about? Do you want me to teach a class? Is that what you want me to do, Miss Trace? Because I got it. I got it. I got it. Let me ask you a question. If Miss Tracy hadn't corrected me in first grade, how would that have messed up, let's just say, my finances today? <laughs> I got $10 million in my checking account, and you can't tell me. I mean, how would that have messed up my finances? How would that have messed up my education going forward? How would, how would that have messed up my relationships going forward? How would that have messed up my, my Christmas shopping going forward, right? It would have affected, it would have touched all the parts of my life in a negative way because I had missed this one truth that this is not how math works. And listen to me, that is exactly what Paul is saying in Colossians chapter 1. If you do not have this understanding that Jesus is Lord, the knowledge that God, Jesus is God, Jesus is Lord, he wasn't a good teacher. He wasn't a good person. He wasn't just a popular figure. Jesus is God. And listen, if you don't get that, here's what the Bible says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord acknowledging that there is a God and his name is Jesus and he is Lord over everything in our lives and in the world. Understanding that Jesus is God is where a colossal Christian must start. Why? It affects every part of our life. Get this, when I have the understanding that Jesus is Lord, get me, it affects my financial life. Right? Right? Hey, I'm going to stand before a holy God one day and give an account for how I manage my finances. Can I tell you this? That affects what kind of checks you write. It affects the way I work. It affects the way I treat my family. It affects my church life. It affects my decision. It affects, listen, it affects my attitudes in life when I know Jesus is Lord. It affects where I go, where I don't go, the things I do, the things I don't do. Listen to me. You know, you know when you get in trouble in life? Do you know when we all get in trouble in life? Me included. Joel and you and everybody watching online, Rossville. You know when you get in trouble, Rossville? You know when you get in trouble? It's when we forget there's a holy God we'll give an account to one day. So let me ask you this morning, how good of a Christian do you want to be? If you want to be a colossal Christian, it starts with being aware that Jesus is Lord. You don't have to make him Lord. He is Lord. How much does Jesus being God affect your life? Are you filtering all of your decisions through the fact Jesus is Lord? Are you filtering all of your actions through the fact you'll stand before a holy God one day? Are you filtering all of your attitudes through the knowledge that Jesus is Lord? Hey, you want to be a colossal Christian. You want to be a good Christian. It starts with this, knowing Jesus is Lord. And one day every one of us will give an account to an almighty God 
And we'll stand before him as our judge. And all of creation, Paul's going to tell us next sermon, all of creation will one day bow before him. Hey, if that doesn't affect the way you live, you just, your top's not screwed on right. A thread's off somewhere along the way because Jesus is Lord affects everything about our life. And a colossal Christian wakes up in the morning acknowledging Christ is Lord of all. He's Lord of all. I'm not reading about a good man in this book. I'm reading about the King of kings and Lord of lords that I'll stand before one day. A colossal Christian knows what he has to know. Number two, a colossal Christian faces what they have to face. He said it in verse number one, chapter number one again. He said, and then he goes on to elaborate in chapter two. He said, I know I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I'm now pleading in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. Paul goes on, and he talks about the sufferings that he's had to face in the Christian life. Paul talks about the, the suffering for the sake of others, the suffering for the church, the suffering for the cause of Christ. He spoke, uh, not get this, of the joy he had in suffering. Can, can I tell you this this morning? The Christian life is going to bring with it, by the way, if it's done correctly, pressure and sufferings from the world around us. If it's done correctly. If you want to be a colossal Christian, you're, you'll have to face what you need to face because there will be some responsibilities you'll have to own up to. Get this. You, you, you're going to have to be a, a witness. You're going to be a great Christian. You're going to have to give. You're going to have to serve. You're going to have to give up some things. You're going to have to start some things. You're going to lose some time. You're going to lose some energy. You're going to, there are going to be some pleasures you used to enjoy. You cannot enjoy anymore. anymore. There are going to be some hardships to endure in the Christian life. Listen, if you do the Christian life correctly, hear me. There's going to be persecution from the world around us. Your friends are not going to understand everything you're doing. You're going to be made fun of. Hey, if you do the Christian life correctly, some relationships are going to sour on you. You say, preacher, why tell, why tell us all that? Somebody, maybe we want to become a Christian today, and you're not painting a rosy picture. Why not just bury the lead and do a little bait and switch and tell them later? Because here's what Jesus said about this. Jesus says, and whosoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Jesus was saying that if you want to be a colossal Christian, you have to figure out, get this. Hey, if you're going to write something down, write this down. You have to figure this out. Does the prize exceed the pain? Does the prize exceed the pain? Can I give you a hint? In the Christian life, it always does. The prize of glory exceeds the pain and the suffering of this world. My wife, she'll be here in the next two services and you may not know, some of you do. She's been the love of my life since I was 16 and she was 15 years old. We, we met in a grocery store in uh, ShopRite, ShopRite grocery store in Chatsworth, Georgia. Now, now shut down. We, we uh, took some photos of us in front of it before it shut down. But I was, a ba I was her bad boy there and her mom came on a Friday night and uh, mom bought groceries every Friday night. And her mom came on Friday night and I was singing, I was singing in the produce section. And I can't sing, but I'm just kind of a happy guy. And, and I was singing and she pulled me over to the side, her mom did. And that happened all the time. 
uh, people, uh, you know, wouldn't know where something was. And she said, hey, can I ask you a question? And she's like, yeah. She said, what's your name? I said, it's Joel. She said, do you go to church? I'm like, yeah, I go to this, you know, this church down here. And she said, tell me about your parents. And I told me about your parents. She said, you have a girlfriend? I said, well, I, I do a little bit, but not, don't really like her that much. And matter of fact, just broke up with her. And, and literally the girl, the girl's mama had showed up at ShopRite a couple weeks before asking me to go back with their daughter. And I'm like, yeah, just not. I, so really, I don't. I don't have a girlfriend at all. And, and she's like, huh. She said, I, I'm going to bring my daughter in next week. I'd like for you to meet her. And, you know, she said she's really pretty, which coming from a mama means absolutely nothing. <laughs> but she brought her in the next Friday night. Now, keep in mind, before cell phones, every phone had a cord on the end of it back in the day. And, and, and I remember... I was sitting in the back, I was in the back room at ShopRite over in the meat department where we worked and kept all our stuff back there. And I was looking out the window and I saw Sherry for the first time. And I literally fell in love the very moment I saw her. And her mama was right. She was beautiful. And I ran out of the back room. I ran right up to them and I'm like, I'm, I'm the guy, I'm, you know, I'm the guy. And I bagged their groceries that night as good as groceries have ever been bagged in the history of bagging groceries. And I pushed the buggy out to her car. Next Friday night, she came back, and when they walked in the front door, I got a push broom, and just trying to be a good employee, I pushed the broom all the way. I swept all 16 aisles at ShopRite. Very, very slowly, talking to a 15-year-old girl named Sherry. It was literally weeks later, I said, I'm going to marry you one day. And she said, you're not. You don't even know the color of my eyes. Blonde-haired, 15-year-old girl, what color are her eyes? That's what I said, and I was wrong. I'll know them by the time we get married. I'll know what color they are by the time we get married. I know it. Our, our dating life progressed. Dating life's a tough word. Um, she sat me down one day and she said, hey, I've got some things to tell you before we get too far in this relationship. I'm like, okay, what is it? She said, my dad is a conservative independent Baptist pastor. All right, I was an independent Baptist. I knew all that, no problem. I get religion, man. I can get religion like that. Like, I, I like that. I can get religion. I said, I'll start coming to your church. I'll come to your church all the time. She said, well, there's more to it. She said, I'm not allowed to date before I'm 16 years old. fine, fine. You're 16 in like a month or two. I can wait till I'm 16. Well, she said, well, even when we start dating, there's, we're only allowed one date per week. I was like, well, that's cool. What, what, is, what is a date? I messed up one day. I drove her to a baptism because we baptized at a creek at her church. I drove her to a baptism Sunday after church, and her dad counted that as the date. <laughs> she'd been in the car with me. Never again did that ever happen. But you got to walk to baptism, girl. I am not driving you in my car on the way there. She said, also, my dad doesn't believe in kissing before marriage. It's a great rule. I love that rule. But immediately I was like, how do you feel about that rule? I don't care what your dad said. I'm not kissing him. I won't know how you feel about the rule. <laughs> not only that, she said, I can't talk on the phone 
much. My dad doesn't allow a lot of talking on the phone. And, and, and she said, you can write me a letter and mail it to me. Or you, back in the day, you know, remember, no texting, no social media. She'd write me a letter. Or you can pull it and put it in my mailbox, and I'll leave one in my mailbox for you. And, and, but if you pull in the driveway, it's a date. Now, I'm just giving you the short version of the story. Early curfew, there's just a lot of rules attached to dating her. Can I tell you this? There was a lot of pain attached to dating her. There were a lot of regulations I was going to have to go through. There were a lot of hoops I had to jump through. But get this, for me, the prize exceeded any of the pain. I'd say this, the prize has been great. I'd say this, I hadn't even noticed the pain of that day. Because the prize of Sherry far exceeded the pain of her dad. Can I tell you this? You'll have to face some hardships down here. You'll have to face some suffering down here. You'll have some disappointments down here. Let me tell you what Paul said, by the way. God had given Paul a glimpse of glory. And here's what he said in Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. Here's what Paul was trying to say. The prize is greater than the pain. Could it be be that in your Christian life, that when things got a little difficult... You shrunk back from the Christian life. Hey, let me ask you this question. How easy is it for you to give up on the Christian life? Hey, hold on, hold on. If you get too busy, do you give up on the Christian life? Get made a little fun of or a little persecution? Hey, hey, get a new hobby? Is the Christian life first thing to go? Get bad times in your life? Is, is Christ what goes out? It, it, I, can I be honest? The, the, the sad truth of the Christian life is it doesn't take much for most Christians to quit. And Paul said, if you want to be a colossal Christian, you have got to face what you have to face. You've got to stare the devil down and tell him, no way. I'm not giving in. I'm not backing up. Can I, can I ask you a question? This, this burdens my heart all the time. How are we going to face Jesus when so little stopped us? Right? You, you know the Jesus that hung on the cross for our sins and endured torture for us so we could be saved who left heaven? How are we going to face Jesus and say, well, Jesus, I was a really good Christian until, until you know, I got so busy. I don't know, but you, I'm not comfortable with that, standing before an almighty God. Let me ask you this. How are we going to face the saints of old when they endured persecution and death and torture? Every apostle died a violent death but one. And they tried with him. How are we going to face the saints of old when we see their crowns in heaven? And, and knowing that it was easy for us. We got busy or one person hurt our feelings and we quit church. Isaac Watts wrote the hymn, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? And in it he has these lines, Must I be born to paradise on flowery beds of ease, while others fall to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas. I'm afraid that we're going to go to heaven and find all the people who fought to win the prize, yet we, we shrunk back. And we're really on flowery beds of ease. No, a colossal Christian does this. They know what they have to know, that Jesus is Lord. Number two, they face what they have to face. And number three, here it is, I'm finished. They show what they have to show, chapter three. Paul said this, so if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, 
seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also appear with him in glory. Set your minds on things above. And he begins in chapter three to tell us exactly how to do that because in the final part of the book, Paul tells us that a colossal Christian have their minds and hearts on things not of this world. So much so, get this, so much so that we don't even look or act like the people of this world. Get this. That means our life style is so foreign to this world that we are able to show them what being a Christ follower really means. Here's the thing about being a colossal Christian. You cannot help but stand out. You can't help it. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're going in as as much as you can, listen to me, your family will stand out. Your finances will stand out. The way you talk will stand out. Your standards of holiness will stand out. Your generosity will stand out. Your habits will say, hey, 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 your social media will be different when you're a colossal Christian. Colossal Christians show the world what it means to be a Christ follower, not stand out in a weird way, though they'll think it's odd at times, but get this, stand out in an attractive way so they'll want what you have. Colossal Christians know they have to tell others about Jesus, but they also know they have to show others the difference Jesus makes in our lives. Close your Bibles and I'm finished. 1900 American educator A.E. Winship traced the descendants of one of America's most renowned preachers, Jonathan Edwards. Others have done it since then. You know a little bit about Edwards if you're a Christian. He Raised in, born in Connecticut, 1703. He attended Yale at age 13. Uh, He went on to trace 1,394 known descendants of Edwards. It's a study in what sociologists call the five-generation rule. Here's what he says. He says that how a parent raises their child, the love they give, the values they teach, the emotional environment that they put the kids in, how you raise your child will affect Five generations, not only their children, but four generations to follow. He and his, um, Edwards had a strong sense of duty, role as a father. He and his wife had 11 children and always tried to make time for them. And he was a sold out follower of Jesus Christ. Well, on the contrast, they did the same thing with a man named Max Jukes. And by the way, not his real name. Not his real name. The, the, the researchers actually changed the name so um, they wouldn't be embarrassed as a family. According to the March 8, 1902 issue of the School Journal, he said the almost universal traits of Jukes were idleness, ignorance, and vulgarity. That Jukes was not a follower of Jesus, that he lived an immoral lifestyle, and that... He genuinely was a man who was far from God and raised his family that way. And so they took Jonathan Edwards' generations and they took Max Jukes' generations and they compared them together. Jonathan Edwards had a U.S. vice president, three senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 62 physicians, 75 Army, Navy officers, 100 clergymen, missionaries, and theological professors, all in five generations. 
pretty impressive resume. Max Jukes had seven murders, 60 thieves, 128 prostitutes, 280 indigents, 440 alcoholics, and 140 other convicts. Of the 1,200 descendants, 300 died prematurely. 67 were reported to have contracted syphilis. It's estimated that Jukes' descendants cost the state approximately $1.3 million. That's the impact of one family. I said, I'm going to show, let Jesus reign in my heart, and I'm going to show what it means to be a follower of Christ in one family that said, I'm just going to do my own thing. Acostal Christians know they have to show what they have to show, that Jesus has made an impact in our life. And listen, that five-generation rule could not be more true that, that you'll affect, look, the outside world around you, but generations to come either way, either way. You're showing them. Stand with me. Across the room. Rossville, stand with me. If you're watching online, Jeremy's got a word for you right now. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that amazing message on how to be a colossal Christian. And as we, as we look at the book of Colossians over the next few weeks, and we, we look at what it takes to become um, a Christ follower, man, it's important that we know what we have to know. The only way we're going to know what we need to know as followers of Jesus is to spend time in His Word. And I know that's a struggle for a lot of people. And there are times in my own life when I struggle with spending time in God's Word. Um, we, we'd love to help you with that. We've got some resources that we can send you uh, that'll help you in spending time in God's Word and spending time in prayer. And um, so we'd love to help you out in that way. If you'd like more information about these resources, you can send a text to 706 406-8100. That comes right to my, my cell phone. That's, that's my phone number. And um, I'd love to send you some resources um, that'll help you uh, in um, becoming a more devoted follower of Jesus Christ. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, um, then we'd love to help you do that as well. And so if, if God has spoken to your heart this morning, and uh, you feel like you need to give your heart and life to Christ, connect with us as well by clicking on the I Commit My Life to Christ button in the box. And we would love to have a conversation with you about that as well. I've enjoyed our time together this morning. Uh, it's, uh, it's been great to be together, and I can't wait uh, to see you next week. God bless you. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening. <music>